Listen, Talon. I need toilet paper, lemons. What we have here? Security uh... chief, move now! Welcome to This is Palestine. I'm Deanna Butu. Well, Palestinian cinema has done it again. This time, the Palestinian short film, The Present, has been nominated for an Academy Award. The Present, directed by filmmaker Farah Nabulsi and written and edited by filmmaker Hin Shofani, takes us through what is supposed to be a simple journey of a man with his daughter attempting to run an errand, but confronting the near impossibility of doing so because they live under Israeli military rule. In this episode, we hear from two people heavily involved in the film, the script's writer and editor, Hin Shofani, and Maryam Kenj, who portrays the child Yasmin on this journey. Hin Shofani is no rookie to cinema, with over 20 years of experience, including a film about her father, the late Dr. Yas Shofani, titled Trip Along Exodus. In the interview, Hin begins by thanking virtually every person who worked on the film, from the director to the actors, to the production designers, the producers, the sound crew, you name it. Hin spends the first five minutes of our interview painstakingly detailing the work of each person. It's a testament to who she is. Welcome, Hin. Thanks for Thank joining you. us. Thank you so much, Diana. It's a pleasure to meet you. Pleasure to be on the IMEU's podcast, um, an institution that I admire and love and support. And you are also a person I follow and read and listen to and, and care for from a distance. So it's an amazing experience to be able to put a voice, more of a voice to the face and more of an energy to the lovely presence of you. Thank you. That's very sweet of you. Thank you. Um, so I want to begin by saying congratulations. This is great news. Thank you so much. It is <laughs> great, great news. It is unexpected. It is overwhelming. It's lovely news. It's um, yeah, it's heartening and empowering and uh, quite beautiful. I think it's very good to start with a disclaimer saying that I am proud of all the work we do here with or without Hollywood, with or without the West's approval of anything we say. I've never once thought of the entire continent of America whilst doing the work I do, but it is nice when your work can travel oceans, can travel the Pacific, can travel the Atlantic, can travel through nationalities in space and can touch so many different generations, so many different nationalities, so many different languages and um, hit what is essentially the largest um, award for cinema worldwide. Yeah. People who know nothing about film know the Oscars and the BAFTAs. BAFTAs less, but the Oscars. And so it's quite an achievement uh, for the team, for Farah. And um, yeah, I'm really proud to have been a part of it. Can you tell? Can you tell us how how did the how did this whole process begin? Like, what was the process behind putting this, getting this film to from vision to reality? Uh, so I had I had met Farah Nabulsi, the director, several years earlier uh, when she was producing a project directed by someone else, Pierre Dawalibi, who is an acquaintance and friend in Dubai, and he suggested that she contact me as a writer for the voiceover for one of her previous films. 
And I did that uh, years and years ago. I wrote a, a short voiceover for her, like a poetic kind of voiceover. And so years later, she contacted me out of the blue and said, look, I, I've written, I have this story. I've experienced some stuff in Palestine. I've been, I've been there. I've been to Hebron. I've talked to people. And I have this short story that I really want to create. And I have some funding. And I have written down some ideas for some scenes. I have a, a, a plot in mind. But, you know, Farah also said that she was not a writer. She is not a writer. She knows that. She acknowledges that. She's very good at knowing um, her strengths and, and, and places where she's not the right person for the job. So she said, would you write this project for me, with me? And uh, I said, sure, great. It sounds great. Um, the first script was in need of a lot of work, which she knew. And we started a, a workshop process together where, where she, I read it obviously, and uh, I didn't like the title. I didn't like the ending. There was a lot of things that I thought were not gonna work for me as a short film um, that would be nuanced and sensitive to the Palestinian experience from a Palestinian experience. And, um, and we met. And we talked and God knows Farah and I can talk a lot. So we'd have these four hour meetings, five hour meetings, and it would veer off into experiences, remembrances, moments that we lived through, her, her life, my life, um, what's happening in the Palestinian scene, what she wanted from the film. And we would workshop the scenes, we would discuss, you know, uh, we added a character of a child. There was no child in the beginning. I added the character of a daughter. Uh, I said, why don't we add some back pain? I think I was personally going through back pain at the time. And I said, why don't we give him back pain, the character, which makes life so much harder. It's like you go through life that's hard, but then if you've got back pain, everything is a thousand times worse. She said, great, let's add some back pain in there. We had scenes with an old man who fixes watches, who is lovely, who listens to Um Kaltoum and drinks tea, which then got cut out because of production issues and budgets and length issues, which is totally normal. So we went back and forth with the writing process and I would go home and I would write, 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 write. And then I would meet up with Farah again a few weeks later and we would go through the draft and she would say, how about this? How about that? I don't like this. Let's add that there. This is great. And I would go back and I would rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. Um, and that was the process. And it was smooth and, and easy and kind of lovely. and. Life was pretty easy back then. This was two years ago. I didn't have a hectic schedule. We didn't have COVID. Uh, things were kind of comfortable. You could sit in the same cafe for five hours. Nobody bothered us. And uh, then I, you know, and that's kind of what the writing process was. And um, at some point we said, right, this is almost a locked script. We like it. Let's start thinking about, you know, the next steps. And, you know, and then we began having discussions about, so Farah wanted to shoot in Lebanon. Her experience with her previous films as a producer and as a, as a storyteller uh, had been to shoot in Lebanon. And she had a great, because, you know, Lebanon's landscape could be Palestine. Uh, there are amazing crews in Lebanon, people who are very experienced in filmmaking, who spoke the language and you could get actors who were Palestinian in Lebanon as well. And it was accessible at the time. It was easy, um, well-priced, safe, you know. And the director of that previous film was Lebanese. So I think he took that story to Lebanon, even though it was set in Palestine, it was a Palestinian story. 
And she said, I think I'm going to go back to Beirut or to Lebanon in general, not necessarily Beirut, because the team there was amazing. I loved it and everything was, was really easy for us there. And I said, no, you know, I think it's really important that we have a Palestinian landscape with Palestinian crews, with Palestinian actors. This is a story of checkpoints. It's a story of landscape. It's a story of movement. And even though I knew the Lebanese South very intimately, I knew that we needed the landscape of the, my favorite landscape on earth, actually, the Mediterranean landscape of the, the West Bank and, and parts of the Galilee is this kind of like rock with weeds and husks and bushes and then trees and brown. So it's like brown with silver, with olive trees, with weeds, with husks, with like all these different types of vegetation that is so Palestinian that anybody can recognize really quickly visually. And I said, I think you need, you really need to have that backdrop. You have to have those mountains, you have to have that uh, rock formations, you have to have those olive trees. For me, what makes the film so powerful is not only the simplicity of it, the portrayal of the Israeli army's control over Palestinian lives, but the ending. I won't give it away, but it is powerful. And I learned throughout the interview that the ending wasn't actually in the initial versions of the script, but came about by the set designer, Na'el Kenj, who also happens to be the father of the child actor, Maryam Kenj. We were considering a variety of endings. I wrote an ending. She went to Palestine. She brainstormed with her crew. She came back to me with an ending that Saleh didn't like and I didn't like. And she wasn't sure of it either. And then in the most amazing way that community comes together and works and in the most amazing way that kind of light bulbs go off in people's brain, it was actually her set designer, her artistic production designer, the father of Mariam, Nael, Nael Kanj, who I think came up with the final ending. And she contacted me and I said, yes, this is the ending. This is an amazing ending. It's an empowering, empowering. <laughs> It yeah. is the sort of resilience, actually. So it's funny, I had actually thought that the ending was written before the beginning. Um, but, uh, but now you're telling me that it was actually done the other way around. No, the ending came at the very end. We had a variety of endings and it was Nael who really like, it was built, right? So it was first, you know, built in the sense that we had an idea and then we kind of chipped at it and then we had another idea and then we chipped at it and then another idea. And they all kind of work together to come up with the final ending, which to me is looking to the future, looking at children, looking at feminine empowerment, looking at resilience, looking at the simplicity of babies. I mean, it was just, yeah, it was a beautiful ending. It was an ending a father would come up with. And um, yeah, it, it, was, it, it works really well, I think. And so they went and filmed it. Um, and poor Farah, I know, I know it was tough, like filming in Palestine, my God, you know, you asked me earlier, you know, what sort of obstacles people go through. I can't speak for obstacles because I wasn't there, but I, you know, saw Farah for days and days and days and days after she came back. And, you know, when you're dealing with roadblocks, you're dealing with trying to stop traffic, you're dealing with uh, actors who are not professional actors, having to stand up in front of Saleh, a seasoned actor, and be able to hold their own you had people who couldn't speak the Hebrew language very proficiently because we hired only Arab actors. So she had to go and then, you know, do some sound, you know, fix the sound in post and, and get, you know, voice actors. And um, 
also issues of you know blocking issues of building checkpoints i mean farah is amazing she's like right it's not there i will build it you know she was very powerful in that sense she knew exactly what the checkpoints would look like and she drew them you know she could draw them and she made people build them i mean it was amazing to watch that happen i'm from a documentary background i tend to go and shoot what i find and i do it I think very sensitively, very beautifully. I provoke moments. I provoke situations. I, I make things happen. I have nuance. I instigate stuff for my characters. I put them in situations, but I don't build checkpoints. You know, I don't go build <laughs> concrete blocks. And you know, it takes fiction does that. And I think they did an amazing job. And then we also had conversations about how are we going to get Saleh to go through a checkpoint with thousands of people? Because that really is the quintessential kind of image of these horrific, inhuman, horrendous checkpoints. These places where laborers, you know, workers from Palestine have to go to make ends meet, to work within, you know, inside 48 and what they have to go through every day, the humiliation, the lines being stuffed and crushed into a pen. We couldn't, you know, as a short film, it's hard to bring 500 extras and make them stand there at dawn in a checkpoint. And so I said to Farah, as a documentary filmmaker, I said, steal it. Uh, I can't, to be very fair, I don't know if I said it, she said it at some point in a meeting, we decided that we were gonna steal those shots at a real checkpoint. It was gonna be an emotionally very intense moment for Saleh, bless him, and everybody there as well. And they were gonna go with you know, smaller cameras, a you know, couple of DOPs, couple of crew people and um, film the actual checkpoint, that one horrific, you know, horrible checkpoint, the real people there. And it worked, it worked. They were very lucky, they got away with it. And I think that is also very, very powerful wasn't a fake experience, you know? I get a bit of shivers when I when I think about that. I, I was gonna ask you, why, why do you think it resonated so much with so many people? I don't know. I don't know, because like I said, I, I come from a place where I do a lot of, uh, I try to intellectualize things and multi-layer things. And <laughs> I, I, like, I like historical things. I like psychological things. I, I mean, I'll tell you a bit about my current project and you'll see the kind of things I like. Um, so I don't know what, what hits a, a, a nerve, you know, in the general public. According to my sister, who is a genius, who is in New York, who is brilliant, it's the power of a simple story that everyone can identify with, you know? It is the power of a simple story that everyone can identify with. It is uh, a father. It is a simple everyday um a job that he wanted to do, like a mission, an errand, a simple errand. Everywhere in the world, not everywhere, but in many places, you click a button and next day something is delivered to your home or a week later or whatever. For this man, you know, he had to go through hell and back to be able to do one simple errand, which should have taken an hour of his life maximum and not have to go through all this humiliation. And I think that's what resonates with people is the simplicity with which um, we handle the story we didn't try to overload it with political slogans, with messages, with, we didn't, I made sure there was no theorizing, there was no moralizing. We didn't want to, it's not an activist film. I told Farah from the very beginning, we need to get away from the activism that she, you know, she's a very strong speaker for Palestine. And we wanted to focus only on the human aspect of it, the very simple daily aspect of this man 
who is an everyday person, you know, like me and others. Um, and there is power in that. There's power in fatherhood. There's power in the plight of children. There's power in seeing bars and metal. There's power in seeing checkpoints, people stuffed together, being treated, you know, like subhumans. Um, there is a, a power. You want the you want this person who is oppressed to break free. You want them to to fight against this machine, this military machine. And I think that. Um, is something audiences really resonated with. I asked Hind about her future projects and she fortunately has plenty. So what's next for you? I am drinking water. <laughs> I, am, I am sort of in hell currently. Um, I have uh, an entire museum that I'm directing and producing. I'm making 29 films for a museum. That is correct, 29 short documentaries. I have an NGO project I'm working on in seven different Arab countries in COVID. So that's quite a challenge. And I have a lot of translation work that I do on the side. Once that's done, I'm gonna start editing my Galilee project. So when I was able to return to Palestine um, four years ago, for the first time in over 20 years, uh, I became an American citizen suddenly at age 38 and I went home. I could go home to the Galilee. My father is from Me'alia, a small village north in the Galilee and my mother's from Nazareth. And I've always thought the Galilee was this, oh, it's like its own planet. It's, it's this place that's got this mythology, this energy, this mystical nature. It's on the sea, it's got mountains, it's lush. It's a continuation of where I was born in Sidon uh, I was born only an hour away by car, but couldn't get to the other side of the Galilee for 40 something years. I mean, it was madness. The way that the diaspora works, the way that borders work, the way that nationalities work. Anyway, I went home and uh, I rocked up with a camera crew. <laughs> well, one person, one camera person friend and my lovely partner, my amazing English partner. And we decided we were gonna make a project with no funding, no producer, no tripod, no equipment, no money, no production manager, no script, no institutional support, no characters. We went and we said we were gonna make a project about Christians in the Galilee. I'm an atheist or at least extremely secular. I am not um, a religious person. I'm not even a believer really but I'm very, very interested in the ethnographic, the multi-layered, the indigenous minorities of the Galilee. If this is the place where Christ came from and it's being emptied of Christians year after year after year, what remains then of the original people of this Mediterranean land? Away from Zionism, away from Christian fascism, away from the fear of ISIS, away from the fear of being annihilated, who are these people? Who are these gorgeous, incredible people in Fasuta, in Tarshiha, in Malia, in Nasra, in Haifa, to mention a few of the places, you know, in Iqrith, in Berain, we went to all these places. I wanted to know who I was, who my father was, you know, did I want to live in this community? Why do I speak Galilean, you know, Arabic when I'm there? Mama Uli, I mean, my Arabic becomes goes from being Lebanese, Palestinian, Jordanian, Syrian to being like Jabali, like an incredible weird Arabic that comes out in the village that I don't even know where it comes from. 
So I wanted to explore that and I wanted to explore the lives of people there. And I wanted to explore their identity. How do they define themselves after 70 years of having Israeli passports, being Christians? Some of them are very, very, very deeply embedded in Catholicism. And for them, it's a very strong way of life. And it's become an identity that is more uh, overwhelming and overpowering than being um, Arab or being Palestinian. They see themselves as Christians and then Arabs, and then maybe not even really Palestinians. And of course, there's some on the other side of the spectrum who are massively activist um, Palestinians, who are people who are fighting for people in the West Bank, in Gaza, in the diaspora, for refugees all over the world, who are very intersectional, who don't think of themselves as a minority in terms of their religion. So I wanted to explore this landscape of this ethnic landscape, like who are the Arab Christians of the Galilee? Anyway, we went three or four times back to this area. We interviewed 14 different characters. Uh, we followed them around in their daily life. And uh, that's my next project. And what a roundabout way of speaking about my relationship to Palestine, but it's called They Planted Strange Trees. Um, they planted strange trees as an homage to the trees that were planted in that area when the settlers came to change the landscape, to make the landscape more uh, familiar to them and to also give them a relationship with building that land and to give them a job. And to this day, there are alien trees, you know, in that landscape and uh, in non-indigenous trees to the mountains of the Galilee. Are, are you going to watch the Oscars? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched the Oscars in, I'm not kidding, at least 15 years. I don't have TV. And so I don't, I don't really, I have streaming services and stuff, but I don't have a regular cable subscription. So I haven't watched the Oscars. I used to love watching them so much when I was a kid. My God, it's our favorite night of the year on TV growing up in Damascus and Amman. But um, I haven't watched it in a very long time. And this year, for sure, I'm going to be at the edge of my seat. I don't even know. I can't even imagine what would happen if we win. Like, I just, I literally lose all eloquence when I think about what might happen if we win. And, you know, I got to say, uh, considering how far this film has gone under some sort of lucky star, under some sort of magic charm, under some sort of spell, there's a very high chance it will continue going, you know, maybe. I hope so. I hope yeah. so. I hope so too. I really hope so. I hope so for Farah. I hope so for Osama. I hope so for all the crew and for Saleh. And I hope so well, mostly for Palestine. You know, I think this is the start of many things to come. If you notice this year, you know, there are amazing things happening with Mayaudi's 200 meters and Amin Naife. You know, I know that Amir Shomali is working on a new project. Maya Dalayan's recent projects are beautiful. Rakan Mayas, he's working on a new project. I mean, Palestinian filmmakers are kicking ass all over the world and it's astounding, you know, it's astounding. I'm very proud to be a very small, tiny part of, of that community. Really proud. Thank you, Hin, for, for this interview. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for uplifting Palestinian voices. Um, thank you for being you, really. I then have the pleasure of speaking to Maryam Kenj, of course with her parents' permission. She tells me about what she loved about making the film and what she disliked most, and about her interactions with Israeli military occupation. 
Welcome to This is Palestine, Maryam. It's really nice to have you. Thank you. So, Maryam, I, congratulations. I saw you in the film. I thought you were excellent in it. What was it like seeing yourself on the big screen? I'm not really sure because I didn't go to my film festival. I wasn't, I couldn't go. So I just watched it on the TV. And how, how, how was it watching yourself? I like it, but like, it's not the first time because I've been in other films. And so how does it feel to be nominated for this very big prize for the film? I don't exactly know. You don't exactly know? Okay. Do you hope you win? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's good. So what was your favorite part of the film? Um, maybe the part on the mountain. Oh, all right. And what was the hardest part of making being in this? Uh, wearing a sweater in the hot day. It was really hot, and I had to wear a sweater and jacket. Is it was it summertime when you were filming? Um, maybe uh, spring, but it was really really hot. That was one of those days where it gets really warm. Yeah. Wow. One and of those weeks. <laughs> <laughs> now, in the in the in the film. Um, for I'm going to give a little bit away for people who haven't um, who haven't yet seen it. Part of the film is is about you going with uh, your your father, Sonia, yeah. and yeah. you're going to try to get a birthday gift for for your mom. Yeah. And uh, and then and part of it is that you have to pass um, you have to pass an Israeli checkpoint. Yeah. Have you ever have you ever seen any checkpoints yourself? Yes, I've been through one or two. And what was that like? I don't really do any of the stuff in it, so I don't know. Okay, but you've passed through it. Have you've seen them? Yeah, I've seen them, and I don't really like it. Yeah. What What is it about it that you don't like? Uh, they're big guns. I'm trying to take Palestine and all that. Yeah. And I, I also wanted to ask you, um, how is it being an actor? I like it. Yeah. I think it's a little bit hard, but when you get used to it, it's easy. I hope that, I hope you win. And I hope that there's whatever you want in your future happens, whether it's acting or even beyond. Thank you. To see some of Hin's incredible work, please visit www.hinshofani.com. And the present can be streamed on Netflix. Thank you for listening to This is Palestine, a podcast brought to you by the Institute for Middle East Understanding. The IMEU is a nonprofit focused on giving you access to untold stories, facts, and expert sources on all things Palestine. For more information, please visit our website at www.imeu.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the IMEU. Please don't forget to subscribe. I'm Deanna Butu. Thanks for listening.